0: Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meet Social and Emotional Learning podcast, episode number 98. With researcher Dr. Dawson Church, the author of the new book called Bliss Brain, the Neuroscience of Remodeling Your Brain for Resilience, Creativity, and Joy. My name is Andrea Samani. And if you're new here, I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research, along with high-performing experts who've risen to the top of their field, with specific strategies or ideas that you can implement immediately, whether you're an educator or in the corporate space, to take your results to the next level. If we want to improve our social, emotional, and cognitive abilities, it all starts with an understanding of our brain. Today, we are so lucky to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Dawson Church, the author of the new book called Bliss Brain, the neuroscience of remodeling your brain for resilience, creativity and joy. Dr. Church is an award winning science writer who blends cutting edge neuroscience with the stories of people who've had firsthand experience of brain change neuroplasticity the discovery that the brain is capable of rewiring itself, is now widely understood. But what few people have grasped yet is how quickly this is happening, how extensive brain change can be, and how much control each of us exerts over the process of our thinking. Welcome, Dr. Church. Thank you so much for being here today to share all this research you've been doing. And do I have this right? Is it 50 plus years since you learned to meditate as a teenager, are we right on track?
1: Yeah, Andrea, 50 years. And in chapter one of Bliss Brain, there is a section called From 50 Years to 50 Seconds, because so many of these ideas in Bliss Brain took me years or decades to figure out. And I've had a long career in science, and I have been involved in over 100 clinical trials. And so what I try to do in Bliss Brain is distill it down. And the reason for 50 seconds is it did take me 50 years to figure out all the stuff, but at one of our retreats in San Diego recently, we hooked everyone up to EEGs before the retreat and after the retreat. We trained them during the retreat to acquire these elevated emotional and brain states of meditation masters. And so we timed how long it took them to get into those states on day one and day seven at the end of the retreat. And one woman by the end of the retreat was hitting that experience, that ecstatic bliss brain experience in 47 seconds under one minute. That's why that section is called 50 years to 50 seconds. So I don't want everyone to have to spend 50 years or 10,000 hours slogging their way through like I did. I want you to get there in a minute or less.
0: Well, I love that because a lot of us have spent years developing our craft, and that's why we're trying to help share what we've learned and help people to fast track the results. So, yes. And when I was reading your book, I was so excited because I was just mentioning to you that I'm a longtime Dave Asprey follower and fan, and he did your foreword. And what I loved about seeing him there is that. He talked about top performers he's come across in his career, and that's all Dave Asprey's involved with, with his book, Superhuman. And he calls people like uh, game changers. And he said that everyone that he comes across that is making a huge impact, they all meditate. How did you come across Dave Asprey? Are you guys good friends?
1: Yeah, I met Dave through... uh best-selling authors group I'm a member of called the Transformational Leadership Council. Mm -hmm. And essentially around 2004, 2005, Jack Canfield, who at that point was selling millions of copies of his Chicken Soup for the Soul books and other books of the Chicken Soup series. So Jack said, I want to spend time every year, like go on vacation with highly conscious people. And he picked about 100 people, Marion Williamson, John Gray, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, all of these great, great teachers, authors. And he invited people to be part of this group of, of of essentially friends called the Transformation Leadership Council. And so Dave's a member of that, as am I. And it's just so cool. We get together and we have a chance to just hang out together. There's no real agenda to the meetings. There's no big... Um, goal or objective is just to really be with each other and support each other's personal and spiritual growth. So that's how I met Dave. And we just met and just instantly hit it off together. And I love the all of the lineage nutritional ideas Dave has. But Dave has been a real fan of meditation for a long time, has a company called 40 Years of Zen, and really knows the field. And we, we now understand that you can map zen, you can map samadhi, you can map all these elevated states that used to, used to be very mysterious to us. I mean, how, how do you know when a Ramakrishna or or Ramamana Maharshi or a Rumi or a Hafiz or a Saint Teresa or Saint Catherine of Siena, how do you know when, when someone's really enlightened, when someone's hit this state of, of extreme bliss, extreme ecstasy, and you know, a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, there was no way of measuring this, but science science is just great because science has this love of quantifying things, and so with these advanced EEGs and MRIs and other tools we have now, we can literally plug people in and measure their brain state and I, In this brain, I have a lot of images, as well as the stories there are a lot of images of MRIs and EEGs. And we can literally look at one of those and without knowing anything about that person, I can give you a personality map of them, especially their spiritual state based purely on the way their brain is functioning because the brains of the masters function very differently from the brains of ordinary people. And now this is allowing us to actually train ordinary people to hit those brain states without taking the 10,000 hours. It takes the Tibetan masters to get there. So uh, we're in exciting times, and Dave's as much a part of this revolution as I am.
0: Well, I love this, and I'm fully aware of that group because I I used to work with Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Canfield, when I worked in the seminar industry. And wasn't it right that when Rhonda Byrne was looking for people for the movie The Secret, she asked a lot of people from that group back then. She just went to this group that had high-powered people studying together, it would make sense. Just ask them, let me interview you all in in the movie The Secret. I feel like that's where... Yeah, the movie
1: The Secret was actually filmed largely at a Transformation Leadership Council meeting, and then she added in additional footage as well, but that's where the, the movie was, the bulk of the movie was filmed.
0: That's what I thought. Well, it's it's powerful to get this opportunity to speak with you and to make connections for people that I've worked with in the past. Let's get right into the questions because this interview is timely and it's important, Dr. Church, since we're going through such difficult times in the world and things are changing on a day-to-day basis, no matter what part of the world we're living in. And this podcast now is reaching over 110 countries. So You know, people are all over the world tuning in, which surprised me, but I follow the statistics and people are very interested in learning this topic, which is why I keep going and keep looking for more people like you to talk with. Can you explain what you've discovered to be the secret for tuning our brain towards positivity, directing our thoughts, habits, and behaviors to a happier life?
1: It's a question that has obsessed people for millennia. The Buddha, the Buddha over 2000 years ago was, was trying to find some way of relieving the suffering in the world and Jesus and Muhammad and Lao Tzu and all the great spiritual teachers have been wrestling with these difficult questions. Plato wrestled with them centuries before Jesus and the Buddha and all throughout history, we find this problem of human suffering there. And so, how do we not live in suffering? And it's been thought of as a moral and spiritual issue. And what I really show in my books, especially this brain, but in my earlier books as well, Mind to Matter and The Genie in Your Genes, it's it's a biological problem. It's simply a, a feature of how the brain evolved. And we didn't evolve to be happy because there was no survival benefit in being happy. Like if you were competing 100,000 years ago with Neanderthals and the Ice Age was ending 30,000 years ago and you were having to compete with scarce resources with other tribes, other animals, other species. There, There was no value in in terms of evolutionary utility in in being happy. I mean, the happier person didn't kill the bison or find the potato tubers and and eat. Uh, It was the person who was the most attentive to pattern recognition of what was different around them and especially threats. So when you walked over that ridge and you checked out the territory, if you were the human who noticed that rustle in the grass, there was a hungry lion, then you fled or you fought and you lived. But if you're the happy-go-lucky minstrel walking around whistling and singing, you got eaten. So uh, happiness genes and happiness uh, moods just got weeded from the gene pool of, over time. And the more focused you were on the negative, you, the more you survived. So that was great for survival. But then as our lives have become easier, and at the end of this brain, I show how over the last two, three, four hundred years, our lives have become dramatically easier. Like the average person now is about three times as wealthy today than the average person in 1980. So if you take the average global wealth, global GDP divided by the number of people in the world, 1980 and then now, people are three times as wealthy now in only less than 40 years. Um, between now and 1800, about 100 times as wealthy. In terms of longevity, our, long, our lifespans our life have doubled in the last century. And there are many markers like that. There are actually hundreds of markers like that that show that we live in a much more secure and safe world than we used to, than certainly that our ancestors lived in. So we have no threats. I mean, there aren't you know, lions and tigers, like I'm looking out the window of my office right now, and there are no like rampaging wildebeest or or swarms of Neanderthals pouring over the uh, the, hill, the hill with their spears, ready to attack the little village I live in. And these just non-existent threats, and we have brains honed by millions of years of evolution to detect them. So our brains are simply, it's a matter of, we, we're not suffering because we're of a failure of will, or because we're bad people, or we're bad at, we haven't read enough personal growth books, or haven't watched enough positive movies, We're just hardwired to do that. And so that's been the fundamental problem is how do you do this? Because now, for example, in my book, The Gene In Your Genes, I talk about how high cortisol, that stress chemical, wonderful stress hormone that makes you, pushes you to fight or flight, fabulous for fighting off the lions and tigers, now does things like decrease memory and learning, produce atrophy of the hippocampus of the brain, produce uh, loss of muscle mass, bone density, skin elasticity, depresses your immune system, increases inflammation, does all kinds of bad things, ages you really, really, really quickly. So all of these traits and brain states and hormones that were so really useful to our ancestors are killing us today. And so now the challenge is to become happy. And there are a few people who've really figured this out. And they've generally spent 10,000 hours or more in meditation. So these Tibetan masters who go on three year, three month, and three day retreats, and some of them have gone on five of those retreats. So they've spent 15 years, 20 years in meditation. Um, They, we look at their brain activity. It's not paranoid. In fact, the parts of the brain that handle stress in those adepts literally begin to shrink and the parts to do with happiness, start to grow. And so how do you grow a happy brain? That's a huge, big issue. And the the surprising, we knew we could could do it a little bit. What I show in this brain, I gather all this research showing you can do it a lot. Like I have the story of Graham Phillips, who was a astrophysicist and then became a TV reporter and has a show in Australia called Catalyst. And Graham Phillips learned about meditation, heard about its health benefits and said, I'm going to, learn to meditate, do a six-week, eight-week program, but I'm gonna take my TV crew into a top-notch medical imaging laboratory, and I'm gonna get brain scans, I'm gonna have my brain mapped, I'm gonna have my body mapped, and then we'll do that before and after the eight weeks and see how it changes. And they they found when they analyzed his brain, so they they used high-resolution MRIs to map every part of Graham Phillips's brain, and then he began to meditate, be mindful, Two, three weeks in, his whole mood began to change. He felt much less stressed, had much less episodes of, 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 of negative emotion. After eight weeks, they took him back into that that MRI lab, mapped each part of his brain again, and some regions had grown by three or four percent in only eight weeks. But the part of his brain that grew the most was... a. Uh, small little C-shaped sliver of tissue right in the center of the brain called the dentate gyrus. And its job is to regulate emotion brain-wide, regulate all the far-flung parts of the brain that have to do with emotion and help you not be stressed, not be irritable, not be angry, not be annoyed. And the tissue in his dentate gyrus grew over those eight weeks by 22.8% more than a fifth more tissue in that part of the brain and this isn't software this is hardware so now he's changing the software of his mind becoming less stressed it's literally changing the hardware of his brain and his emotional regulation circuit grows 22.8 percent in eight weeks that's how quickly we're remodeling our brain with our consciousness
0: well that is extremely powerful and i've heard the eight week number before Um, And I forget where I heard it, it might have been with Dr. Dan Siegel, but there is that that seems to be the number where it sticks at. And I know most people that are listening to this podcast are aware of the importance of meditation. But I do hear some places where people get stuck with their practice. Can you explain how it's possible for people to release emotions that keep us in that reactive state? you know, where we're responding to the past rather than living in that present moment, um, just so that we can figure out how to be present in that moment now instead of somewhere else.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we have all this brain hardware, this brain, these brain structures that are focused on identifying and detecting threats, bad things that might kill us, eat us, harm us, and now we have no threats to actually worry about. There are no Neanderthals out there. There are no lions and tigers. So what is this chemistry? What is this biology? What do these neural circuits do? Is they just hunt around endlessly looking for the bad stuff that's out there and there's no real bad stuff. So we just focus on imaginary bad stuff. We replay the bad stuff that happened a year ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago in my childhood. And we project that into the future and say, oh, that might happen again. So I have to be vigilant in the future as well. All that's to do with the past, all that's to do with the future. We're not in the present moment. And so people close their eyes and try and meditate. And what that does is that cuts off our our, our eyes are, are sending roughly 9 million pieces of information of data through the optic nerve to the occipital lobe in the back of the skull, the brain here, every second, every second, there are those millions of bits of information going through the optic nerve into the back of the brain, and you close your eyes, cut them off, that flow of information goes down, goes away, and suddenly you're even more obsessed with the past and the future. And the parts of the brain that light up are the mid-prefrontal cortex and the posterior cingulate cortex in the back here. And those pieces of the brain are to do with creating your sense of self, So you tend to be self-focused and in neuroscience that's called self-referential thinking. And so when you are obsessed with me, my past, my future, what my life is like, all of this is to do with the self and that self-referential thinking part of the brain, the default mode network, the the, the mid prefrontal cortex is highly active in unhappy people, depressed people, stressed people. And so, what happens in these adepts, in these Tibetan monks, in these Franciscan nuns, these people who've spent 10,000 hours, is that they close their eyes and they learn to shut down that mid-prefrontal cortex, and then the happiness parts of the brain. And, for example, there's one part called the insula, which has to do with, again, this is a bit of jargon, but pro-social activity, pro-social brain map, mapping. And this is the part of our brain that has to do with altruism, compassion, gratitude, joy, connection with others, happiness, love. In love, the insula is highly lit up and that's exactly what happens. So these Tibetan monks and these Franciscan nuns, others that we have brain scans of, when they close their eyes, they do not have a lighting up of the mid prefrontal cortex and the default bone network, just the opposite, it's shut down and parts of the brain, like the insula, which are to do with love, compassion, gratitude, joy, positive emotion, light up, and then they that produces a flood of beneficial neurochemicals in their brains, and they feel absolutely wonderful. So it's a matter of training, <clears throat> and you have to train yourself to acquire the same brain patterns as those people. Just telling, those who want to meditate. Like when I was 15 years old and I was, I was dreadfully unhappy as a kid, I, I tell the story in Bliss Brain about how when I was 15 years old, I, I was just, I was depressed, I was anxious, I had no friends. And one day I was in a hotel and I walked past a full-length mirror and I just turned and stared at myself. 15 years old, I had this lung, brown hair halfway down my chest, and I had hippie clothes on and bell-bottom trousers and a big bag of books slung over my shoulder. And I looked at my face and these words just flashed into my brain. And those words were, that is the saddest face, the saddest face I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And I I, I thought, I'm gonna fix fix this this, this person I am. I I can't live my life this way. I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here on the planet. And so um, I then went to live on a spiritual community. I learned the great philosophies of the great masters. I learned to meditate, learn energy healing. And I got a little bit less unhappy, but they told us in meditation classes to close our eyes and still our minds. And that piece of instruction is almost useless to most people because you close your eyes. And again, your default mode network fires up. You're thinking about the bad things in your past, bad things you're in your future, you're not in the present moment, and the meditation exercise is almost worse than useless. And so that's how many of us try, that's why many people leave meditation, try a practice and fail to establish a practice. So that really filled me with a desire to learn how to improve. And for many, many years, I meditated intermittently, and then eventually about 20 years ago, I committed to a daily practice, and then I began to make some real progress. But um, you have to find, there are specific scientific techniques that shut down the default mode network. You have to know those. If you're closing your eyes and hoping for the best, following your breath and stuff, maybe you'll make a little bit of progress. But if you you get science on your side and do the things that MRIs and EEGs and neuroscience studies show you are really effective. I mean, all these tools are in this brain. A lot of stuff people do, the saffron robes, the prayer shawls, the, the beads, they aren't doing a thing. What is really effective is scientific based practices. They will quickly shut down the default mode network and bring you to that state of inner peace. So it's a matter of knowing the science to give you the edge to get there quickly.
0: That's helpful,
1: Dr. Church.
0: With any meditation practice, the key is to actually doing the meditations. When you purchase Bliss Brain, in the end of chapter one, there's extended play resources that take you to a website. You just put in your email address and it takes you to a membership area page that has all these guided meditations on them. So I have started my journey of just starting to do uh, Dr. Dawson's bliss brain meditations. And if you want to access those, that would really help you as well to dive deeper into shutting down the default mode network in your brain and accessing those higher levels of joy and happiness. Hope you enjoy them. Well, Dr. Church, when I first started to meditate, it was around 2014. And it was because I had received a a program from a speaker and it had a meditation program as a part of the packet. And I thought I better use this because I know the speaker was going to ask me, you know, what did you think of that? And it started with sessions that were about 30 minutes long and I had young children at the time. And I just found it really difficult to sit for 30 minutes and could you explain maybe how someone would get started? Why is it so hard for us to learn how to meditate we're going from running around you know full speed full speed, and suddenly we've got to stop and learn to be in the moment. I just found that to be the most difficult thing ever why Why would that be
1: yeah, and traditional meditation instructions are to uh, to follow various prompts and they hope you'll get into that state. What I use in my meditation methods called my meditation method is called eco-meditation. And again it's it's just based on very well established science and there's seven steps to it, but it's a guided meditation. So initially I just guide you through the seven steps. And if you just mechanically do these things, they produce certain involuntary responses in your body. One of them, for example, is that you picture the volume of space inside your body. Now, early EEG studies in the 1960s and 70s found that if you just picture empty space, especially between your eyes, your brain goes into an alpha brainwave state, which is the ideal brainwave state for entering meditation. So we have you do that. You just picture a big empty space between your eyes, but you're it's got you're guided to that. So you don't have to remember to do this. You're guided to do that. Another, another thing you do is there's a little trick to relaxing your body and stimulating your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve goes all over your body, hooks up your gut and your heart and your lungs and all your internal systems. And it, governs the parasympathetic nervous system. It's the main branch of the nervous system that handles the relaxation response. And if you just relax one particular muscle, it sends a signal to the whole vagus system to relax the whole body. So you do that. Then you breathe in a certain rhythm and that puts you into the state of heart coherence. You then visualize certain um, uh, connections with other people. That puts you in deep coherence now you're activating that insula in your brain you're shutting down the default mode network and it gives you just enough information to bring you to the present moment so we found that if people do these seven things that it really works for them like i did a a workshop um last weekend and I, i taught a workshop and we had people make do comments afterwards and people said things like i've been meditating all my life but i never got as deep as i did following those seven steps. Other people said, I've tried six different kinds of meditation and I failed at every single one. I couldn't do any of them. I did the seven steps and suddenly I was in bliss. In my book, Bliss Brain, I have quite a few stories there, but one is from a woman called Tony Tomlinson. And she wrote, she said, Dawson, I'm, I'm writing to you because when I sat down to do your meditation, I didn't think I could succeed. I've been trying to meditate on and off for the last year, but I'm burned out, stressed with parenting, with life. My cortisol is sky high 99% of the time. And I thought as I sat to try your meditation that I would fail at this one too. She said, as I followed these seven simple steps, suddenly I was in bliss. Tears of joy began to roll down my cheeks and I was in the place I'd longed to be for so long, and that's a common experience because people are just following the science. If you go try freelance it, go try with traditional meditation techniques, they may or may not work for you. Uh, if you follow the science, do what science says is effective, the chances are you'll have a good experience in a guided meditation in getting to that present moment. And the beauty of it is that once you've learned to do that one or two times, you will know exactly how to get there the third, fourth, seventh, and 198th.
0: Well, that's very helpful because it helps someone to have a plan when you're beginning, especially you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you don't know. So to have a plan, to have a structure to what you're doing really helps. Um, And I know that we could all use the benefits of resilience from meditation, especially these days. Can you explain what your research has shown about how we can learn to relax and perhaps what brain waves are associated with relaxation and resilience. Um, and maybe how this even impacts uh, aging and our telomeres.
1: Yeah, it has huge effects down the road in aging. And the pattern we're looking to train people in, in bliss Brain, I have a lot of images in bliss Brain, like there, there are over a hundred images, like images of MRIs, images of people, um, but had diagrams to help you really understand all of this. And there there are these basic brain waves ranging in um, in frequency from pretty slow waves. And frequency just means how, how many times a second the neurons are firing. So if they're firing once a second, that's a very slow wave. If they're firing a hundred times a second, that's a very fast brain wave. And so that alpha wave I mentioned is in a range of between seven and 12 times a second that those neurons are firing. When you sleep, when you're in deep sleep, you're in delta, the slowest brain wave, zero to four cycles a second. When you emerge into the dreaming state every hour or two, then you're in the next slowest wave, theta, which is four to eight cycles per second. And then going into alpha, then if you're waking up, you're losing that theta and delta, those slow waves moving through alpha. And then you're in beta and beta from around 13 to around 30. That is the range of normal consciousness and normal activity. When you're just doing stuff during your day, most of the time thinking mind's turned on, you're in beta. Now, if you are stressed, you make a lot of beta and all the other waves almost, totally go away, or in fact, completely go away. So stressed people have a lot of beta. So it's this, this middle wave, and there's a lot of it in stressed people. And there's very little alpha, theta, and delta. And there's also very little of the very highest wave called gamma. And that's going from 30 or 40 cycles a second, all the way up to hundreds of cycles a second. And so what these adepts, what these yogis, what these, these exp- meditation experts have is they have a lot of gamma, and gamma is the wave of creativity, of resilience, of happiness. And so while you might have a little burst of happiness once if you eat a peanut M&M and a little burst of gamma, if you solve a crossword puzzle, if you figure out a solution to a problem, you'll have a little burst of gamma, maybe three seconds long. These adepts have large amounts of gamma, and they sustain them sometimes for 15, 20 minutes. And that's refining. So we can read people's brainwaves with an an EEG, and we can analyze where they are, and they change. I have images in the book of of a woman in front of a conference, in front of a huge hall with hundreds of people in the audience, and we've got her brainwave patterns displayed on the screen around her. So we have this massive like 30 foot screen with all these brainwaves showing up there. And when she's thinking about childhood abuse, she has large amounts of beta, that signature wave of anxiety, stress, panic, and she has almost no theta and delta and no gamma whatsoever. Then we treat her, she has a really great session, she drops down, all that stressed out beta goes away, she has a nice alpha pattern, she has lots of theta, lots of delta they becoming peaceful because they have that what we call the awakened mind pattern, and we can train people to acquire this now in really short months of time. Like Graham Phillips, in eight weeks, he was able to bring his, his mind and his brain into the same state that would normally take a Zen master or a Tibetan monk 10,000 hours or more to get to. Well,
0: this is very helpful. Thank you so much for this detail to help us uh, really understand how we can get the the benefits of meditation. Now, just from meditating uh, since you were a teenager, can you tell me what you've noticed? I I know what I've noticed in just six years, but I'm curious what you've noticed.
1: It changes everything. Meditation changes everything. I tell the story when I was 45 years old, 20 years ago, I decided to make this commitment to daily meditation and my whole life began to change after that that changed really rapidly. And so, um, you, you see changes. And then the one that I, I, I wrote this brain because I had a burning desire Andrea to let people know that you can reach this state of extreme happiness. And so you look at the images say of St. Francis of Assisi, when he was in this blissed out communion with God. You look at the images of Ramana Maharshi or Ramakrishna photographs from the 1890s of these Indian saints and they were just completely in this altered state or read the poetry of Rumi or Hafiz and they talk about Teresa of Avila talking about passionate oneness, union with the divine beloved, with God. And so these people were just happy. They were incredibly blissful. I I found this, I meditated year after year. First of all, I became much more stable, became much more healthy. All the external circumstances of my life, and that changed very, very quickly for the better. After I began to meditate daily, then I discovered all the seven steps of eco meditation, because I was trying a lot of different techniques. And I found that if you strung those seven things together, they were super effective. And then I, after a few more years of doing that and beginning to teach it, I found I was extraordinarily happy. I was no longer that, that stressed out <laughs> unhappy teenager, and I wasn't just average happy. If you look at the studies of these Tibetan monks, they have 25 times the amount of gamma that the average person has. I mean, they are so happy. They're completely in another realm in terms of, of, of feeling great. And I wrote *Bliss brain, I wrote this book called Bliss Brain about these ecstatic states I was in. And that year I wrote it just the previous October, my house burned down in a wildfire and my wife and I fled just about two minutes before our house and our office was consumed by the flames. And then we had a huge financial disaster as a result of losing everything we owned. Mm-hmm. So we wound up heavily hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, in the in the year after the fire, several of our neighbors had died in the fire. You know, it was this 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 massive dislocation. We we literally lost absolutely everything except for our phones and the clothes we were wearing. And then had this very long and difficult process of of you know, trying to pull things together again. Financial crash. I'd have an operation, and that year I wrote a book called. Bliss Brain, because I found that I was just resilient. I was—I—I I knew how to be in my body. I knew how to be centered in my heart. i, I knew how to not get PTSD. So the whole chapter, chapter seven of Bliss Brain, is all about post-traumatic growth, and we're very focused on how tragedy and trauma will will push people into developing symptoms like flashbacks and nightmares and intrusive thoughts and all the, all the the terrible things that, that happen to people who have traumatic stress. But PTSD actually is just one option. The other possibility is that you have post traumatic growth. So chapter seven of this brain is all about how to use the tragedies, the disasters, the, you know, the divorce and the sickness and the financial crash and the health crisis, use them as literally fuel for your transformational journey because you can grow throughout them and become a much stronger and happier and more resilient person as a result. So I'm not writing Bliss Brain as a person who just had a fabulously easy life. It was a very difficult year and I still wrote a book and (laughs) explained how you can be there too.
0: Well, that's when it's the most impactful when you've actually used what you've written for the results that you're getting. That's really the work that I've been doing. It was like, you were writing something, writing something, and then bam, September 11th happened. And I had to use what I was writing were other people for myself. And then the belief is there. You know, then you, um, you you're, for sure, know this is gonna work. So no one's gonna tell you that bliss brain is is not a good idea. You know that that these steps have worked for yourself, and then that's when it it you can start transferring it to other people, I think.
1: Yeah, you use it yourself and then use it consistently, and then you're turning the software of a positive mood into the hardware of resilience. You're no longer depending on external things to make you feel good, you have the neural bundles. I mean, that's the stunning research in this brain. It shows that pass a signal through a neural bundle for one hour, so continuously, and you can double the number of neurons, the number of, of synapses in that neural bundle, doubling the signaling capacity of a neural bundle in one hour of repeat stimulation. So when you're triggering the happy parts of your brain hour by hour, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and faster and faster and faster and better and better and better, and better at communicating those signals, eventually you have a highly resilient brain. Now you are dependent upon something external making you feel good temporarily, you've turned that state of well-being into the trait of happiness and resilience and creativity. And that then follows in you into your your daily life. Like I addressed the criticism in this brain about, well, I mean I used to say this about these meditators. These, these meditators, they're in, in these monasteries in Tibet. What how is that helping the world with, you know, artificial intelligence, cyber warfare, and, and climate change and access, no, people are having access to clean food and water and so on. I mean, where's the activism there? How is that helping the world? And it turns out that when you enter these bliss brain states and you then move from your meditation into the world, the research I presented bliss brain shows that you are five times as productive in your job. In your family, in your workplace, in your career, as you would be without being in that state. So suddenly, you're making a massive impact in the world. Like, for example, through right now, I'm working with 18 veterans' hospitals. We were all of our wonderful methods have really taken a long time to make make their way into hospital where veterans suffer with PTSD. And so now we're uh, working on a project with 18 veterans hospitals to bring those methods in in there. But in the meantime, we were blocked from getting into those hospitals 10, 15 years ago. So we set up our own private foundation and then began to offer free treatment to veterans. And to date, we've treated over 21,000 veterans through that project. That's social activism. You don't become a disembodied, Uh, spiritual being just drifting out there in the in the psychosphere you come back to your real life, your career, your kids, your wife, your parents, your colleagues and you are incredibly creative, incredibly productive and the world around you changes dramatically as a result.
0: Dr. Church, what exactly happens to our brain structurally and functionally? So What health and cognitive benefits do we receive?
1: Massive ones. And initially they're small and incremental. So you shift your negative thinking into positive thinking. You shift your negative emotion into positive emotion. And you feel a little bit better that day. But then again, you activate the neural bundle. It gets a little bit bigger. And so that's what happens day after day after day. Over time, those little incremental changes really, really sh- shift the brain. So for example, the memory and learning centers of the brain get bigger. The hippocampus gets bigger. It's the center of memory and learning. You, you see these neural bundles, so they look white in these images. And then you see these like dark, sticky, gooey, like bubble gum, like asphalt. And these beta-amyloid plaques build up and they start to go, go down various parts of their body shut down, as it looks like, and it takes maybe 10, 20 years. And it's really just a a tragic disease as people lose their memory, can't remember their loved ones' names and who they are and where they are, factors in the lifestyle of these people and our brains. And they found that the thing that correlated most with the buildup of beta amyloid plaques in the brain was negative thinking. And it was a scaled relationship. The more negative thinking, the greater the amount of beta-amyloid plaque buildup in the brain. So you're literally building up these substances in your body that kill you with negative thinking and with gamma, with these elevated mental states that you achieve in meditation, you're clearing them. And so the research shows that epigenetically, you're making changes in your body with these energy techniques. You're literally turning genes on turning genes off and turning on a whole group of beneficial genes that have to do with health and longevity. So th- this is all short-term. This is all what you're doing in your daily meditation practice. Long-term, bit by bit, all of these things have a massive amount of leverage of your longevity. And so in one study, just, this is just one of many studies like this, it looked at, at optimism. And they found that optimists are much more likely to reach the age of 85, and when they do, they have about 10 years longer lifespan than pessimists, purely by thinking we are affecting our lifespan moment by moment. Those thoughts might seem fleeting, you might seem say, "Well, I just want to complain a little bit about." the politics, about the corporations, about I'm just gonna have a little bit of complaint about my wife, my husband, my job. I'm just gonna have a negative, I'm just gonna be, be a grouch today, okay? Uh, do that over and over and over again, cumulatively you're affecting your lifespan, but you choose optimism, you choose positivity, you choose joy, you choose to meditate, you choose all these positive mental states And then cumulatively over time, that's what relates, that's what what produces that 10 years of extended lifespan. Add in the studies of altruism, of gratitude, of kindness to those optimism studies, and you find that actually your lifespan can be extended by about 40 years if you add in all those positive emotions. So, the recommendation, the homework, Andrea, for everyone listening is. (laughs) <laughs> Never have another negative thought again ever in your whole life.
0: <laughs> and, you know, in part of some, of some of the groups that I've been involved in, my neuroscience researcher we're always doing um, experiments and he said, try to see how long you can go without a negative thought and let me know how you do. And really, it's within, within a few minutes. You know, and, and people that are saying, oh, I did it all day. I'm like, there's no way you did it all day. So it's it's hard. And, and when you're talking about those tangles, the beta amyloids, those are directly uh, seen in the brain, aren't they, of Alzheimer's patients? Yes. That is a sign. So that's negative thinking, would you say would be a precursor to developing Alzheimer's then? Yes. Yep.
1: Was the, stro- was the strongest factor of every factor surveyed in development of those plaques was negative thinking?
0: Wow. Wow. well, we know we know what we're supposed to do. It's just taking the time to learn this because we haven't all been trained this right way. What, how, how do you um, you talked about it in the beginning. Your book is called, bliss brain and you talked about these higher levels uh, with the bliss molecule what is that and how can we access it if you know maybe we've been meditating a little bit we want to go deeper what what do you
1: suggest yeah and chapter five of bliss brain is called the bliss molecule and what to do to go deeper is that at the end of each chapter there is a section called extended play resources and that has things like audio meditations. So each chapter has a meditation I made where you can follow along and implement the guidance in that chapter. There are videos, there are links to YouTube videos and other resources that will help you get deeper into the material. And so chapter five is all about the bliss molecules. And there are seven of them that we generate in meditation. And these are really pleasurable molecules. So I I begin by talking about what neurotransmitters do, what hormones do, and then essentially they are docking with receptor sites in the cells of our brains. And that's how they're having their effects. So for example, serotonin docks with serotonin receptors and makes us feel better. But I also talk about all the artificial drugs we can consume just like for example, beta endorphins are a highly pleasurable molecule. They block pain and synthetic morphine docks for the same receptor sites as beta endorphins. That's why it works. THC found in marijuana docks with the same receptor sites as anandamide made by our own brains. And people think the craving heroin or cocaine or chocolate or alcohol or cigarettes or or marijuana, and what they really are craving is the craving, the activation, and the docking with those receptor sites. And what people just don't realize is that psilocybin, for example, people are microdosing with psilocybin now, magic mushrooms, those dock with serotonin receptors. And you can have a huge flood of serotonin in your brain just by following the meditation instructions in my book, This Brain. So you're producing a flood of serotonin a flood of anandamide, the bliss molecule, which again is just shaped just like THC and marijuana. You're having a flood of dopamine, which is the same molecular structure and is activated by heroin and cocaine, ayahuasca, MDMA ecstasy. So that's why those pictures of Ramakrishna or St. Francis show them looking stoned because they seriously are. You do that meditation in the book and you just go way off there into bliss. And one of the things we're, we're working with now, like i talked to other meditation teachers about this, we really need—we really have a protocol to do this because we have to bring people down at the end of each meditation. And you'll find if you do the guided meditations, even if they're brief, they may be only be 15, 20 minutes, but they end with open your eyes, look around you, notice what time it is, notice what time of day it is, count the number of life fixtures in your room. We, we have to bring people down because they are in such ecstatic states during meditations that they can easily get lost up there. So we have to like <laughs> make sure they re-engage with everyday life at the end, but you get seriously blissful and these molecules are addictive. So Tony Tomlinson said, I will be doing eco meditation every single day from now on. Because again, once you've felt all these delicious neurochemicals, pleasure neurochemicals simultaneously in your brain, you're hooked.
0: Wow. Well, we know we need to do this. You've talked about the benefits. Um, how soon will we see the results? I know you've said eight weeks, but following your your bliss brain plan, how how long for us to see results?
1: The basic eco meditation track is twenty two minutes long, and with some colleagues, I did a study at, at Bond University, randomized controlled trial, and we put people in MRIs before and after, and either they listened to this 22 minute track or a placebo control track where they did mindful breathing. And then we gave them a second MRI afterwards. And when we looked at the composite functioning of their brains after this that time period, it was only four weeks they were doing this once a day, we found the same structural changes had begun to happen in their brains as happened in those 10,000-hour monks. Their default mode networks were shut down and the insula, the happy part, the compassionate part, was lit up like a Christmas tree. Wow. So they were getting this benefit in four weeks, 22 minutes a day, they were able to acquire the same kinds of brain state as an advanced monk, and their brain began to change anatomically as a result. So four weeks to literally changing the anatomy of your brain. And Andrea, that's not exciting. I mean, literally changing the structure of your brain in only four weeks, but that's what the evidence shows.
0: I love this stuff. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Church for taking the time to speak with us today about this important research and work and all the years of research that have gone into this. For people to learn more, they can go to blissbrain.com and tell, tell me a little bit more about what you've got going on on your site there.
1: Yeah. So at blissbrain.com, you can get a free copy of the book, Blissbrain. you pay shipping and handling, and that also will, will give you access to all of the extended play resources. So you get the book and then you'll, you'll want to follow the links of the book and go and download the meditations and use all the other resources there. Cause again, none of this works unless you do it. <laughs> you have to practice. And so it's essential that you, you start to practice and you'll feel the shifts in your body. It's not going to be like, you're going know, to have to do this for, for six weeks or eight weeks or, or, or a year. You will literally, like Tony tobolson said, I did it one time. I followed the seven steps and I was there. So you'll, you'll feel it fast. And then you just keep on doing it for so those four weeks. Your brain starts to change. You start to get addicted to feeling that good. And then you want to meditate all the time every day because you know, it's the source of this intensely pleasurable mental state.
0: Well, I really look forward to having a look at your meditation because I've been um, using Dan Siegel's wheel of awareness for a bit and trying different ones. And it's always good to switch it up. Would you agree? Do different types?
1: Yes. Use different ones and then find a combination that works with you. Like Dan's Dan's is a wonderful meditation and it has you, it, it really centers you. And makes you aware of all the different levels of, of, of your being. So it's really useful. And then what people typically do, like Jack Canfield has his several meditations as well, but he has people do eco meditation now first. And so it only takes about five minutes to go through the basic seven steps. Then you go and do Jack's Tree of Life meditation or Dan's. Real meditation. This will get you into the zone, into flow, and you then go and do all kinds of other things in flow. I
0: love it. Thank you so much. And if people want to reach you, what is the best way?
1: Just through that Bliss brain site, you can just send a, a, a message to our support team. We'll make sure you have what you want because I do many live workshops. Now they're all virtual. Uh, so they're live, live virtual workshops. You can go and learn these techniques in depth. Um, I really encourage you to take a, a live workshop, get involved in our community. We have a we have a Facebook group, we have a big Facebook page, uh, look at our YouTube channel. Um, also, people are getting certified now, and I also am working on, we haven't announced this yet, but I really become curious about all of the masters of enlightenment and the stages they go through, and so we're working on a, a really... Um, structured program, no one's ever done this before, of reading all the great scriptures, all the great saints, distilling all the stages of the journey to enlightenment into a system and then turning it, making it scientific, measuring it, using assessments, using um, EEGs to figure out where people are coming from, where they're going to, so we're setting up this this enlightenment journey uh, program for people. And we'll be, be announcing that probably sometime in the next year. It's a, it's a big, huge project to accomplish this, but um, we're, we're doing that now. So if you're on our email list, which you will be if you go to blissbrain.com, you'll then get announcements about live classes and about books and about all kinds of other things that are going on, studies that are happening right now, the, the work in the Veterans Administration, all of that you'll, be, you'll have access to through blissbrain.com.
0: Well, you've made quite a case for meditation. So
1: we should <laughs> thank you
0: so much. I appreciate your time today. We've all got to go to blissbrain.com and get going. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a joy to share, Andrea. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for your time.